Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Well, a question for you as we start today. How would you best picture contentedness? Just think for a moment. And, you know, if you were to capture that perfect moment of content, what would it be? I'll prime, I'll prime your imaginations with a, with a few suggestions. How about the ocean before you with feet up, the best book you've ever read, you know, the book you don't, you hope, you, you, you kind of want to finish it, but don't want it to be over. Is that your picture? No, it's not you, is it? Okay, how about this one? Maybe it's around an evening campfire with family or friends where there's jokes being told and stories being shared and laughter and spontaneous songs. Is that your picture of contentedness? Or maybe it's better captured in this picture, a seasoned marriage where they just know each other deeply, intimately. There's a love there that has been tried and tested and it's true. Maybe that's your picture of contentedness. Or for you gardeners out there, how about this one? I like to think that she just finished pickling about 30, 40, 50 jars of pickles and 75, you know, jars of salsa. And she just harvested all of her garlic. Don't you think? No? (laughs) I think so. Probably the quintessential picture of contentedness, though, is captured here. (laughs) (laughs) the happy pig in luxurious mud. I mean, can you really seriously top that? (laughs) So how how about you? Call it out. What's your picture of contentedness for you? Anything come to your mind? Sitting in my kayak in the middle of a lake with loons around. Ooh, chills. Love it. What else? What would be your picture of perfect content? At the lake. At the lake and at Mount Robson or at the lake at Mount Robson? Okay, at the lake. That's very specific. At Mount Robson, there is a lake. Bird Lake. Berg. 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 Berg Lake. Excellent. That is content. What else? Your baby sleeping at your breast. Thank you, Tara. What a beautiful image of contentedness. Anyone else? Content. We'll come back to that. Because we're continuing with our Summer in the Psalms series, and today we're going to receive an invitation into contentment. Really, we'll receive an invitation to rest in the trustworthiness 
of God through a beautiful picture of contentment. So as we begin today, let me ask you, do you need a rest? Is your heart longing for some kind of calm inside? How many of us are just waiting for, hoping for some kind of settled peace to our heart, our mind, and our soul? More than a few of us, I suspect, right? Maybe all of us in some way. And so if that's you today, I do invite you to lean forward and receive the invitation we'll all receive from Psalm 131. So just, we're going to hear, this is a very short psalm, we're just going to hear it, but I invite us just to quieten our minds and hearts for just a moment before we hear Psalm 131. Just take a moment in quiet. Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Did you hear the invitation in this psalm? I want us just to sit with it a little longer. And if you're comfortable doing so, you don't have to, but if you're comfortable doing so, I invite you to just close your eyes. Um, maybe to relax your hands on your lap, to just sit comfortably. Maybe focus for a moment on your breathing. But just to let the words of this psalm enter and rest in you. This psalm is best experienced as we do it, as we pray it, as we hear it, as we receive it. And so I want to read it for us again, but this time I encourage you in quietness to echo the words in your mind, and I'll actually slow it down to give you an opportunity to do that. So sitting comfortably, perhaps eyes closed, hands resting open. Echo these words in your mind. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content.
Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Well, we've received the invitation. We've even expressed it, I hope, in your mind, in your heart. But let's just take a few moments and talk about what we've heard. Psalm 131, the very first verse, humbly expresses who we aren't. Did you notice that? The things we're not. As we rest in the Lord. We aren't, the psalmist says, I am not. Proud and arrogant. And he captures it in this common pairing of proud hearts and haughty eyes. When you read through the wisdom literature in the Bible, like the book of Proverbs or the Hebrew prophets, like Isaiah, you'll see this evil pairing show up. Proud hearts and haughty eyes are often used to characterize the wicked who are destroying other people, the wicked to whom God is opposed But it's interesting when you do a little search, haughty eyes seem to get the most attention. God does not like the look of them. Of the seven things that God detests in Proverbs 6, haughty eyes is at the top of the list. I don't know if it would have been at the top of your list, but at the top of God's. And we're told in numerous places that God's actually on the lookout, both for the humble so he can save them, but also for those whose eyes are haughty so we can bring them low. Have you used the word haughty lately in conversation? I doubt it. I mean, there'd be other ways of using it inappropriately, but I'm talking about the the way it's being used here. Haughty eyes. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 10, uh, he tells us that when the Lord had finished all his work, and it wasn't, it was destructive work, it was judgment work, against Mount Zion in Jerusalem, Isaiah had detailed this a little bit already, Uh, when the Lord had finished all his work against Mount Zion in Jerusalem, he will say, quote, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes. Then back in Psalm 105, the psalmist is mirroring God's heart of justice when he declares that whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. So there's something about this pairing, there's something about the haughty eyes that betrays the heart. And this psalmist in Psalm 131, he's trying to say quite simply, I'm not that. I'm a person who has submitted himself to God. I'm not a rebellious person. I'm not trying to go up against. I'm not trying to, I'm not thinking of myself more highly than I ought. I'm not claiming a self-sufficiency or an arrogance or a right to determine my own path. Rather, I'm saying that I'm, I'm actually submitted to Yahweh. I'm submitted to the Lord. It's in him that I find my rest, my guidance. And what's more, because this haughty eyes, proud heart uh, pairing is a common shorthand for wickedness and injustice, the psalmist is also saying that he's been a person who's concerned with what is right, has been concerned with treating others with care. Interestingly enough, our connection to this morning with the Neighbors Refugee Committee, one of the thing, common threads all the way through the Old Testament law is, a, is a, a concern for the foreigners who are among you, a concern for those who are among you who are, who are displaced and how we treat them. There's a lot in the law about that. 
And this psalmist is saying, I have been a person who's not like these who, who mistreat and disregard. Rather, I've been a person treating others with care, expressing the love for neighbor that Yahweh has instructed us to. And that connects somehow in the psalmist's heart and mind to contentment. And for us, recognizing that true contentment in Christ cannot be experienced in our lives if we are hurting others or living contrary to the command that Jesus gave us to love each other. True contentment can only be found when we are people who, yes, we make mistakes, and yes, we seek forgiveness, but people who are seeking under God to humbly love our neighbor and care for those who are around us. People whose lives and relationships are in chaos are never at peace. We see that, don't we? In fact, the prophet Isaiah told us that, remember, you know the quote, you've heard it, there's no rest for the wicked? You know that one? Probably the better translation is God will not give peace to the wicked. But it's the idea that there isn't a contentment, there isn't a calm, there isn't a peace, there isn't a rest. And so this psalmist here at the beginning is saying this contentment, this rest that I've chosen, it, it, it's part of this submission, this humble submission to God which is lived out both in this trusting life, but also in a demonstration of care for others. That's how he begins. But he goes on to say more. Not only is he not arrogant, not prideful, no haughty eyes, that kind of business that God hates, but he also says he's not grasping for more than he can carry as a creature under God. The second part of verse one, I have found it very helpful personally. He says, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Many translations will also say, or things too difficult for me. Um, You can tell when you look at the translators that they're trying to say, is it difficult? Is it wonderful? Is it marvelous? Is it hard? Something, yes, like that. Bigger. But what does this mean? There are so many things that I do not understand. There are so many things that I cannot solve. Do you know what I'm talking about? There are situations I can't shift, problems I cannot remedy, relationships I can't fix, people I can't save, you name it. And when we obsess and fret and worry and strive and try to fix or remedy or shift those situations anyway, we can experience tremendous distress in our minds, in our hearts, and in our lives. Some of the most discontented people I know are people who keep concerning themselves with things that are simply beyond their power to influence or to change. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced that in your life? I know I have. That's when I'm feeling discontent the most with what's happening around me. And when I feel that churning, that pressure, that, that sense of like, ah, I find this little phrase here at the end of verse one is a very helpful centering prayer for me. It pulls me back to who's in charge, what's important, and where I sit in the midst of it all. And I can say, I do not concern myself <laughs> with great matters or things too wonderful or things too difficult for me. Of course, there's much we are to do. This isn't just letting us off the hook, like who cares, be callous. That's not what's going on. There's acts of love, there's, there's intentionality. But the psalmist here seems to be saying that his experience of true contentedness is able to identify that there's a limit there. A certain area of concern that he recognizes 
isn't his. It's not his to manage. I don't need to concern myself with it. And I like that verse a lot. Because there's times when my heart and my mind feel pulled back constantly into anxious worry, trying to solve yet again what has been unsolvable in the past, trying to convince yet again who has been unconvincible in the past. And I keep coming back to the things that bother me. Have you ever had that experience where you've given something up, you feel like you're doing so great, and then all of a sudden you're back at it, worrying, fretting, anxious, angry? I have found it extremely liberating to stop in that moment and to simply say, that's not mine to carry. That's yours. I'm leaving it with you. And even saying the words of this, I am not going to concern myself with this matter that is too great for me. Unless you show me a concrete action I need to take, I am letting it go. Some of you know this saying, right? Not my monkey, not my circus. And I I know that can be a glib, you know, turn of phrase. But I can tell you that much of my own personal peace has been tied to my willingness to name, importantly, those times when that is not my monkey or my circus. That's not mine to carry. And this little phrase in Psalm 131 really helps me do that. Again, it's not about being uncaring. It's not about burdening a proper amount of burden when we, we, we pray and intercede for people and we're concerned. It's, it's not about saying we should be somehow stoic and untouched. That's not what this is saying. But it is learning that there's a proper, you could say emotional or mental boundary beyond which we don't go because it's not our place to go. That's God's place. That's his territory. That's beyond me. And I can rest and trust in his goodness and his work. In fact, you can even see, perhaps, for some of us, how that first part about pride and arrogance can be connected to the second part of overreaching and thinking we can solve everything. That's not always true, of course. Sometimes we just don't realize that we've been unable to receive God's peace and live with contentedness because we've been constantly trying to solve what isn't ours to solve in the first place. Well, all that verse 1 does is really set us up for what comes next. The psalmist states who he isn't what we aren't. But then he goes on to talk about his choice to be content. But, verse 2, but I have calmed and quieted myself. And I love it, Tara, that you picked out. You picked out the image. You biblical scholar, you. You picked out the image that the psalmist focuses on. In this case, a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content we're introduced to such a wonderful image of contentedness here. This picture, uh, the weaned toddler on his mother's breast, just on the lap of the caring mother. There's something about this image. This psalmist is, is expressing the choice that he is making to trust God in contrast to prideful grasping or frantic worrying that would have been common in his day and is very common in ours He chooses peace and contentedness in the trustworthy care of God like a a child trusts a caring mother and is calmed by the presence of that mother, is contented in the lap of that mother. Now, I'd love just your thoughts. Why do you think the psalmist chose this particular image 
as his picture of contentedness. His picture, in fact, of his choice to be calm, quieted with his mother. Why would he pick this image? Anyone? Thoughts? Thank you, Deborah. There is no point in a child's life where he will be as content as he is at that moment. That's what you're saying. I didn't quite get your words exactly, but that moment. Yeah, and all of us look at that child and go, never again, kid, never again. <laughs> in that sense, right? That, that beautiful, calm contentedness. What a beautiful, yeah, other, others. Why this image? Yes. Absolutely. It symbolizes the love of God to us. Yes. Unable to, yeah, the child, it also symbolizes the child is unable to meet their own needs independently. They're, they're completely dependent upon the, 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 the parent. Absolutely. Cameron. So it's a, a very universal experience or image that most people will have seen. I mean, they may not remember experiencing it, but you've seen it, you've been part of it, you've witnessed it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank you, Cameron. Anyone else? Why this image? The child wants for nothing. It's a beautiful image. It's a, it's a beautiful image of, of care, uh, of dependence and provision and safety and security. And what you'll notice, the way the psalmist uses it, it's quite interesting. He uses this image, but not as a passive image. Um, it's, it, it, it's a very peaceful image, very calm image. But the way the psalmist uses it, he says, I have calmed and quieted myself in this way like a weaned child with its mother. There's an activeness there. It's interesting. It's, it's, God is not the mother who grabs the shrieking infant at, at wit's end and just kind of wrestles her down into stillness like that works. Parents know very well it doesn't. Yesterday, our niece flew uh, with a family friend to a week-long camp in Winnipeg, and as they were routed through Calgary, the flight was delayed. Why? Because an 18-month-old child refused to be comforted, shrieked and screamed and lost it as several, I think, probably WestJet employees and parents and people in the seats around tried to wrestle this toddler into the seat to buckle it down. It was not happening. I'm not sure what they did and how they resolved that, but the child was having none of it. And what we don't see here is a God who's doing that. God cannot force us to rest in him. We actually have a choice to make in that. And this poet here in Psalm 31 is saying, I'm making that choice. That's the choice I'm making. I'm choosing in spite of all that is going on around me, in spite of how much I might feel overwhelmed, regardless of how the world is a dumpster fire and my back hurts, <laughs> I'm choosing 
to place myself on the lap of God, to calm and quiet myself in God's mothering care. That's the choice he's making. And that's why I think this image, the resting child on the mother's lap, can be so, become such a powerful image of focus for us, so a way of actually becoming calm. Other images can work too. You know, Mount Berg at Mount Robson, or Lake Berg, Berg Lake. Oh, I got to go there. Berg Lake at Mount Robson or, or, or in a kayak with loons. I mean, these are all images of, of beauty and calm. The obvious advantage of this particular image is that interconnected personal connection, that, that sense of uh, we're not self-sufficient, but we're God-sufficient, that, that it's not that we are enough, but God is enough. There's a beautiful um, relationship here that is, that is nurtured. And in this image, within our mind's eye, perhaps in your own life, thinking of children that you know or children that were yours or in your extended family, being able to sit with this picture and then being able to pray this psalm while you do it is actually a way of, it's an interesting psalm because it's actually not only how do we enter the psalm, but it's actually a way into the experience of the psalmist of calm, quiet, contentedness in the caring arms of God. And that's how the psalm ends with a clear invitation to us to be the people of God who rest calm and content in the Lord. The very last verse shifts in voice where it's, it's, it's not just the psalmist saying what he's about, but now he turns to the people of God, Israel. He says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. There's an invitation here at the end that the children of God, the people of Yahweh, the body of Christ, would place themselves on the lap of God like a trusting child, calling us to put our hope in the Lord now. Don't be a haughty rebel. Put your hope in the Lord forevermore. Don't be a worry-filled busybody. Put your hope in Jesus, knowing that because you are a child of his father, who holds you like a mom, and will protect and provide and lead and guide you today and tomorrow and for the rest of eternity. When we know that that's true, we know on whose lap we sit, we are able to truly rest. Even if, or maybe especially if, when there's things going on around us, even in our own circle of relationships, even in our own families, but in the broader you know, sphere, things going on around us, that can all be true and yet we are able to rest calm and quiet in the care of God. And so as we close today, I do want to ask you to implement this psalm, particularly for those of us who struggle with distracted minds, worried hearts, angry spirits, where we find ourselves constantly pulled into the fray, but in ways that aren't helpful. Where you're, you know, churning about things, worried about things, distracted about things, upset about things. But also those of us who may tend to look at those around us, the world around us, with haughty eyes, with arrogant hearts. Sometimes those of us who follow Jesus 
can even have that kind of perspective toward those who are still lost and being, and, and, and lives are in chaos. We can think, we can look and go, what a bunch of losers. Get a grip, right? And, and almost begin to look at others, not with compassion, but with pride. And there's an invitation here to actually come back to the lap of God and say, I'm going to choose, like this psalmist, to calm and quieten myself, knowing that it is in God that we are sufficient and from him that we are able to serve a broken world. And so I challenge you to implement this psalm. The very best way to experience this psalm, honestly, is to use it, to pray it. And as we do so, to begin to experience the effects of the psalm, which is the experience of the psalmist, praying Psalm 131 is actually a concrete way that we actually experience calm and quiet in the presence of God. And so here's my concrete suggestion for you to put this into practice in your life. Similar to what we did at the beginning, where we simply sat with the psalm and then echoed the words in our minds. I invite you to take these few verses, there's only three of them, and to simply take, during the day, it only takes a few minutes, to sit with this psalm and just read it through slowly a number of times. Probably two to three times in that one sitting. I encourage you to do this daily for a couple of weeks. Let's say two, two weeks, a couple weeks. This is particularly for anyone who worries a lot, finds they're churning a lot, is angry a lot. This will help. After a few days, even those of us who think we can't memorize things will discover we are. It's actually, we kind of know what's going to come next, right? And we'll find that we're beginning to make the words our own. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. You know, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. We'll begin to speak it from memory, but we'll begin to pray it from our hearts. And as we do that, to begin to focus in that moment on that image, the image that the psalm provides for us, the image of the resting child, to sit with that image as we pray Psalm 131 and make a choice in that moment to do exactly that, to quieten and calm ourselves in the love of God, in the trustworthy care of the Father. And in that moment, to be able to sit in that, and then whatever comes, comes. If you feel the worry, if you feel the fret, you feel the anger, you continue to recite and pray this psalm. I, I would be particularly interested to know your experience if you were to do that daily for two weeks. Particularly those of you who've struggled with distracted, troubled minds, churning hearts, angry spirits, that if you were to do this for two weeks, I would be very interested to know how your experience of peace and contentedness in the Lord has begun to shift. All the Psalms were meant to be prayed or sung or reflected on, meditated on, and were promised in Psalm 1 and all across the board that it's the key to a flourishing life. When we take in the word of God, we take in the Psalms, we take in the law, we meditate on it day and night. 
were like flourishing trees, right? By streams of water, Psalm 1. And Psalm 131 is a beautiful psalm, short, easy, with this wonderful image that invites us into the very experience that God longs to bring to us. Over in Philippians chapter 4, that Valerie read for us, isn't that interesting? That it, the, the verse that's often ripped out of context and used everywhere, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? And we think of what? Climbing mountains and stuff. But what was the context Paul was using? Whether I'm hungry or I've got lots of food, whether I, I was in trouble or things were good, I've learned to be content. I can do all these things through Christ who gives me strength. Your life might be filled with troubles and we might be surrounded by difficulties, but we are able to rest in the trustworthy care of the God who mothers us and know that he not only will walk us through it, but ultimately will remedy the very things we can't. We can trust him. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.